Welcome to Wines We Drink, a podcast for wine lovers and learners. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and together with my counterpart, Keith Herndon, we'll be exploring a new wine each week. Keith is a lover of wine, and I am a learner of wine. We hope you'll learn and sip along with us, too. Hello to all of our listeners. Welcome back to Wines We Drink, the podcast where we talk about wine, drink some wine, and talk about it some more. <laughs> I'm here today with my co-host Keith Herndon, as always, and we are ready to talk about and drink some wine today. Charlotte, yes, we are ready for a wonderful episode today. I'm a relative newcomer as a fan of the wine we're going to be drinking today, and I'm excited to share my discovery with our listeners. Finally, you're more similar to my shoes this week. <laughs> well, last week we enjoyed a delicious bottle of California Merlot that just so happened to be a wonderful suggestion from my father. So if you missed that episode, you'll find it along with all of our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So I understand that we're remaining in the red category this week. Keith, what are we drinking today? Well, after that wonderful Merlot that your father suggested last week, the 2018 Robert Mondavi Merlot that was aged in rum barrels, I knew I had to come back with a strong and uh, with a strong and equally impressive uh, selection, but also a value selection. Um, uh, and for awesome value and some very robust red wines, I suggest our listeners explore the Spain's Rioja region. And I've selected uh, one of that region's impressive wines made from the Tempranillo grape. Oh, well, so far through our episodes, we've been to California, Oregon, New Mexico, south of France, Italy, and South Africa. I may have missed a place in that <laughs> list, but I'm, I'm sure this is the first time we've tried a wine from Spain. Yes, uh, Spain has such a strong history in wine and a wonderful culture that's built up around their unique wine offerings, but there is no place more steeped in the Spanish tradition of, of wine than in Rioja. At the suggestion of a friend about three years ago, I started trying Tempranillo from a variety of the Rioja wineries, and I was hooked. Uh, I became so obsessed with this varietal that as part of this past year of wine training, uh, I completed a diploma through the Rioja Wine Academy's online course. For, for any of you listening who may be interested in such a course, it's free, and uh, you'll find a link to it on the resources page at wineswedrink.com. Uh, the course is excellent, but I'll warn you in advance, study hard for the exam. It's timed and quite challenging. Oh man, got to break out the <laughs> flashcards for that one. An entire diploma course around one Spanish region. Yeah, that kind of does sound like an obsession. <laughs> yes, but it's a wonderful region to study. And now that the pandemic is easing, I'm looking forward to adding it to my future travel itinerary. Uh, Rioja is in northern Spain, a little more than 200 miles north of Madrid. There are mountains to the north and south of Rio, Ohio, and the Ebro River flows through it. And the climate and soils with a good blend of silt and sand and clay are just ideal for viticulture. Wow, well, that sounds wonderful. So Tempranillo, that's the grape variety associated with Rioja. Yes, there are, there are some other grape varieties grown there, but, but more than 75% of the area under viticulture in Rioja is growing Tempranillo. When someone says Chablis, we understand that the French region is about Chardonnay. It's the same here. When someone talks about Rioja, we associate that with Tempranillo. 
Wow, well, that's interesting background about the region, but what are the specific characteristics of the Tempranillo grape? Um, well, the Tempranillo is a derivative of the Spanish word temprano, which means early. And, and it got its this name because it tends to ripen a few weeks earlier than most other red uh, grape varieties in, in Southern Europe. So I guess we can say it just wants to get a head start on becoming a delicious wine. As I started drinking this wine and learning more about it, I came across some descriptions from the famous wine writer, Jancis Robinson, that I particularly liked. She called these wines essentially savory, but added there is something sappy, fresh, and vegetal about it. And, and to me, that just kind of sums it up. These wines have high tannins like a Cabernet Sauvignon, but they just strike me as fresher, even though they spend time in, in oak barrels. All right, well, let's get into the details of the specific bottle we're drinking today. Please tell our audience about the specific bottle we're opening. Yes, we're opening a 2014 Rioja Reserva from the Marquet de Rascal Winery. Uh, this winery is incredibly popular on the Vivino Wine app, and this particular uh, 2014 varietal has more than 24,000 ratings wow. out there already, and it comes in as one of the top 2% of wines in the world on that uh, app's uh, rating system. Wow, I mean, you have not stopped all summer with these highly rated wines, and I'm learning to never look at the supermarket wine shelves the way I used to. <laughs> well, there's so many great choices uh, when it comes to Rioja Tempranillo. Uh, but I chose this particular bottle not only because of its rating, but also the reputation of this winery. Uh, this particular company exports to more than 110 countries. And and uh, and through my exploration and, and trying some of these different Tempranillos, I, I found that, that this winery always delivers quality. Wow. Well, I'm ready. So please proceed with filling a couple of glasses for us. Yes, I've already had this uh, in a decanter. Um, uh, this bottle uh, from 2014 uh, and, and coming out of some you know, oak barrels before it went into this bottle, um, I think it needed some time to unwind and, uh, uh, and, and think about uh, its life outside of the bottle, <laughs> if you will. So, uh, so I'm pouring these two. It's a really uh, nice, uh, deep uh, purple color. Uh, I would kind of describe it... Uh, as uh, almost a, a maroon shade mm -hmm. of, of purple. Yeah, the bubbles even have a sort of more brown um, tendency to them. And you mentioned, you know, this is a 2014. This, you know, is a rather old, um, you know, wine compared to the other wines we've drank so far in this in this series. Yeah, but but not for Tempranillo, not not really. This oh, really? Is, this is a this is a, a, a quite. Uh, uh, this this wine would age for many more years, wow. you know, in the in the bottle Interesting. like that. So, um, um, how do you think that this co color compares to the Merlot that we drank last week? Very similar to the Merlot in its opaqueness. I mean, you you cannot see through this wine. I mean, it <laughs> is uh, you, if you if you flash your hand on the other side of the glass, you lose it in the wine. Right. So, uh, as always, I'm going to ask you to swirl and smell. And uh, what are some of the aromas that you're, that you're getting there? Mm. Wow. It's quite a bold, and again, similar to, you know, the darker reds that we've had. It's, it's not a nice, bold smell. 
Uh, bold is a is a quite way a, a quite apt way of describing this wine. Uh, some of the um, official tasting notes that I read mm-hmm. describe the aromas as intense. Intense, yeah. I mean, that's accurate. It definitely like I could feel it rimming my nostrils. <laughs> like it definitely it lingers for a while, um, and it lets you marinate on it. Okay, so go ahead and have your first taste. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that is very interesting and quite distinct from the Merlot that we had um, in a lot of ways. First, the tannins. It definitely feels more tannic. Um, and the drying sensation is rather immediate, but again, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stay for an uncomfortable length of time. Um, I'm going to go in for a second taste so that I can grab some of these flavors here. What would be something that would uh, come to to mind at the front of the palate here? What are some of the things that you're uh, that you're beginning to to taste? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a a, a large presence right at the beginning of kind of what uh, you were describing earlier or quoting earlier as like a vegetal uh, taste here. It definitely feels, um, you know, I don't want to say too oaky, but I do get a lot of the sort of wood, um, you know bark, earthy sensations right at the beginning. But then at the very end, I'm almost getting some spices there at the very end. Um, it, it, it only lingers for like maybe two seconds, so I can't necessarily place it, but it's definitely there. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that this is a uh, an aged wine that has spent some time in the oak barrels, and it's definitely got that oak um, uh, uh, presence uh, to it. Um, I don't believe it's overpoweringly oaky. I think that tends to give it some more vanilla mm-hmm. undertones, if you will. Um, but you did mention the word earthy mm-hmm. there, and and that's definitely uh, a characteristic of this wine. I think there are some um, uh, some almost smoke mm. in this in this wine. I mean, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a very deep smoky wine. Have have another have another taste and see if you can identify maybe some of the spices that you get at the finish. I'm getting warmth, so um, I, I don't know if it's a cinnamon or a nutmeg or a cardamom or a something like that. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's a it's very warm feeling. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely some uh, some hints of cinnamon in this. I, I like that you you mentioned uh, cardamom and and, and things. Uh, one of the tasting notes that I mentioned uh, that I that I read uh, referred to licorice. Oh yeah, as kind of a some you know some of that. Uh, you know, some people might not like a licorice, but when you put it in this context, uh, it's not overpowering. It's not bitter at all. No, and it's right? not the first flavor. I think licorice. If you think about <laughs> a strap of licorice that you eat as candy, um, you know that flavor hits you from the beginning, middle, and end. Right. Uh, but this licorice, yeah, it's very understated. Right. And then when we start talking about, you know, the earth and, and the oak and stuff, uh, I don't want our listeners to come away thinking that there's not any fruit forwardness or fruit flavors in this. I mean, you definitely get some really interesting, you know, dark fruit notes in here. You know, I consider this to be a very plummy mm-hmm. wine. It's almost like you took plums instead of grapes and made this wine and then put it in oat barrels. Yeah, I mean, that definitely describes the taste that's left in your mouth. 
So once you've taken a sip and you know, I'm sort of sitting here not sipping and just relaxing with the taste on my tongue, plum is the perfect way to describe that sort of fruitiness <clears throat> that's left over. And you know, one thing I think that's interesting about this wine too is texture, I guess would be the way to, to describe this. It feels thicker, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel, um, you know, like uh, if you were to compare this to some of the white wines that we drank, some of the summer sippers, as we like to call them, um, this one feels more full-bodied on the mouth. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I, I, I think our uh, audience should should understand that this is a, this is a, a, a really full-bodied red wine. Uh, it's spent some time in oak barrels. So we've talked about its oaky notes. Uh, but again, oak isn't the full story here. You know, I think this wine holds on to its fruit heritage. I mentioned plum. I think there is some definite hints of blackberry there. There's some cherry flavors. And then I just like the fact that this wine has some sassiness to it. <laughs> you know, when I think of, uh, of, of Spain, I, I think of a certain type of culture. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that type of, of, of culture and the and just the sassiness, you know, that you that you can get from something like that, with the the hints of cinnamon that you mentioned, and I think there's even some some black pepper, you know, coming forward. Uh, but you know, it's it's really uh, it's really that intense um, concentration of a lot of different flavors, and the more you drink this, the more these different flavors come forward, and you get to taste a, a real smorgasbord, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely vibrant. It's not a quiet wine. <laughs> that's no. for sure. And sassiness. I mean, I love that. Uh, and that's a really good way to describe sort of how all of these flavors come together. It's in such a fantastic, you know, firework, if you will. Um, you know, so this is a bold and it's a tannic wine. But is it going to take a big bite out of my wallet, too? Uh, not at all. You know, uh, as I mentioned, I was really on the quest to find another value wine. Um, and and uh, just as the Merlot that we drank last week, uh, this bottle is recognized by Vivino as an exceptional value wine. Uh, the average price on the app is around uh, $20. Uh, but I found some online at under $15. Uh, Vivino said that this uh, wines of, of similar quality and rating usually cost about twice as much. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're rooting out some deals here these past two weeks. Great wines at great prices. I love it. Yeah. So although, you know, we've described this as a big bowl red wine, you know, it's alcohol by volume is at 14%. So it's not going to be too heavy. Uh, but like all of these red wines that spend time in oak, you know, this wine is going to pair well with, you know, all kinds of red meats. But I don't think this is a, a one-trick wine. There are enough flavor varieties in this wine to make it uh, more versatile, uh, in my opinion, than a Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, I, I think this would go nicely with roasted duck mm. without overpowering it. Mm. Yeah, wow, that sounds yummy. But is this something that a non-meat eater can also adapt to? Uh, yeah, I think this is a great wine to pair, uh, you know, with grilled vegetable, you know, put them on the skewers. You know, especially if you put some uh, mild red peppers on there, uh, you know, and, and I think that, you know, a vegetable skewer with some of these, you know, pepper combinations uh, would work really well with some of the spicy characteristics of, of uh, and, and, and uh, uh, notes of, of, this, of this wine. Uh, and for cheese lovers, you know, open this bottle and pair it with uh, some Manchego and you have wine cheese perfection. 
Wow, you always know how to get me with the cheese pairings. <laughs> Tempranillo and Manchego. I am writing that one down. <laughs> you know, uh, as, as, I'm, as I'm taking down uh, my notes here, you know, we're going to take a short break. But stick around, and uh, we'll be back uh, to wrap up this episode shortly with our weekly wine word feature. This week's word is Reserva. Welcome back to today's episode. Our wine word this week is Reserva. That word appears on the label of today's bottle, so what does it mean? Charlotte, uh, Spain's wine regulators, and especially those in Rioja, take the quality and description of their wines very seriously. So the descriptors on the label have regulatory meanings. In the case of the word Reserva appearing on the bottle of a Tempranillo from Rioja, that means it has been aged for a minimum of three years with at least one of those years in the cask. So when you see the word gran in front of a, of a Reserva, that means it's a Rioja Tempranillo labeled as Gran Reserva. It's spent at least two years aging in the oak cast and three years in the bottle. You know, some countries put legal meanings behind the word, you know, like Reserva, right? Uh, Italy, for example, has rules on how you can label something Reserva, spelled with an I, R-I-S-E-R-V-A. But be careful when you see the word reserve on labels from wines made in the U.S., New Zealand, and Australia, for example. Because there is no legal meaning in those countries, and wineries can use the word reserve however they want. Now, most use it appropriately to indicate a higher quality wine or something that they want to like highlight from their winery. But there is... Some wineries that just use that word for pure marketing purposes. So you have to understand that the English version of reserve on our wines doesn't carry the same regulatory meaning that the word reserva or grand reserva means when you get it from a Spanish wine. Man, that's some more insight into those pesky wine labels. It's some trickery happening, potentially. <laughs> yes, as we said last week, the wine industry doesn't make it easy for us to shop for wines. And it gets even more confusing when we begin to understand the use of a word on a wine label from one country might not mean the same or have the same regulatory control when it's used on the label of a wine from another country. Whew. Well, thanks again, Keith. Next week, we're leaving the wine kitchen. And we are going on location to drink wines with a local chef, though I wish we were going to Rioja, Spain. Um, I think we'll have a lot of fun. I'm so looking forward to talking with our friend uh, Jessica uh, Rothaker from Heirloom Cafe about the wine she serves at her restaurant and how she kind of sorts through all of the choices that uh, she uses to put together a wine list. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. But I'm most interested in finding out what she selected for us to drink. Yes, and I'm sure it's going to be remarkably good. Oh, yeah. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's episode. Looking forward to being with you next week at the Heirloom Cafe. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks for listening to Wines We Drink. Listen to our other episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at Wines We Drink and Instagram at The Wines We Drink. Cheers. Cheers.